So I want to tell you a story. Last Friday, right after we finished recording last week's Android Central podcast, the one about Disney Plus, I get an email from Samsung. And in the email, it invites me to an event the following Monday at 9 a.m. sharp at an art gallery here in Toronto. And the email does not disclose what the meeting is about. It just says, show up. We have something cool to show you. So obviously, that piques my interest. A sort of random, exciting invite from Samsung. You don't turn that down, even if it's at 9 a.m. on a Monday morning. But I thought I knew what it was. Because in the email, they hint that it's something big. It's something new. And it's going to change the way that we use our phones. My name is Daniel Bader. This is the Android Central Podcast. And this week, I'm joined by Andrew Martinick to dig into what I think has been one of the most exciting weeks in smartphones in a very long time. It has not been short of interesting talking points. (laughs) That is for damn sure. So let's get started on the Galaxy Fold. So Andrew, Monday morning, I walk into this art gallery, and there are a few people there, and there's a screen, and it says, Galaxy Fold, embargo, 9 a.m. I kid you not, I walk (laughs) in, and the embargo lifts the moment I walk in the room. Now, if you are not familiar with the way that some of these phone launches work, you usually get some time before the launch, probably about a week, sometimes two, depending on how nice these companies are feeling, and they let you spend time with the phone, they let you take photos, do video, formulate your opinion, write follow-up questions, yeah, write things, edit photos, and a few you know a week later you publish that's the embargo the fold was not like that the fold was here's the thing go um and i know why it happened because the company wanted to coordinate all of the media at the same time across the world they gave access to the fold to a bunch of big pubs like cnet the washington post wall street journal the verge and they published at 9am Android Central got to hold the phone at 9 a.m. And we were in two places. I was in Toronto. You were in New York City. Mm -hmm. And once we finished with our briefings, we got to walk out with, as I said in the intro, one of the most exciting phones I've used in a long time. So let's talk about what this is. Because we saw the first hints of this Back in November at the Samsung Developer Conference with the introduction of the Infinity Flex display, we then saw the announcement of the phone in February alongside the Galaxy S10 series, and now the phone is going to be released a week from today on April 26th. What do you think is uh, what do you think of the phone, irrespective of you know? Let's pretend that we haven't heard any of the other stuff, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, just let's talk about the phone itself for a, for a bit. 
Wow. It's, it's a lot to take in because, you, you know, we, we, of course, had this little glimpse and far less information about the Huawei Mate X at MWC. But outside of that, uh, you know, the number of the number of foldable devices, not just displays, but like actually a, a finished, ready to go device. I mean, it's been few and far between, and none of them have felt anywhere near close to ready in the way that the Galaxy Fold does. And I think that's the most exciting part about it. It has all of this novelty to it that you can, you know, you can fold it open and close and like it, it works. It just continues to do that thing. And in many ways, that's even more impressive because the rest of the phone is just kind of just a galaxy s10 plus beefed up in a couple areas but ultimately it's a galaxy s10 plus so you don't have a bunch of crazy compromises just in that arena you still have a proper phone on the back end of it it's not like something where you have to you know you give up having multiple cameras or you give up having the latest specs or a large battery or wireless charging or whatever uh, you have all of those basics and then, you know, you, you can start to really focus on what makes a folding phone different. And I think that's what we're both kind of grappling with is how do you understand this thing and what kind of category do you put it in? Yeah, I think that is the most interesting part about this because it took me two days to get used to it. Um, and And I say that as somebody who uses all the phones right you you and i use all the android phones we test all the tablets we we take part in this conversation on a regular basis and there's very few opportunities to test something completely new but i think if you haven't used the fold you dismiss it as a tablet that happens to fold up and that is not what it is it is you know it's it's like remember the first galaxy note what was it the galaxy tab the one that you could make phone oh, the, calls on. The tab was it just the Galaxy Tab? Yeah, I think it was just called the Galaxy Tab. It was a seven-inch tablet that happened to have a SIM card slot in it that you could, you know, where some markets it was marketed as a tablet. There, it was a Wi-Fi only tablet, and in some markets it was actually sold with a SIM slot, and you could make phone calls. <laughs> um, and I remember just, you know, that was hilarious, and and everybody made fun of that, and then. Obviously, phablets, as they got bigger, you would put, you know, put them to your head and you're like, oh, this looks ridiculous. But this is truly that. I mean, this is a phone. It's a candy bar. It's tall. It's narrow. And it's obviously thick and heavy. And then you, fold, you, you unfold it like a book and it becomes this 7.3-inch 4x3 tablet, similar to an iPad mini. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet it is not like an Android tablet. It's so far from just being an Android tablet because then you fold it back up and you put it in your pocket. And I wish that it were even, I mean, we'll get to this, but I wish it were less of an Android tablet as well uh, because we know the Android tablets are bad, even small ones, uh, you know, just on the software front. But this, because of the, not quite four by three aspect ratio and then the corner notch that takes out some of the screen and it doesn't really 
it, it makes it where it doesn't really matter if you hold it in landscape or portrait necessarily. It doesn't really gain you a ton of real estate one way or the other. And it's not, you know, it's not big enough to actively use like multiple uh, like floating windows, even though you can um, for multiple apps. But it's also not small enough to use one handed. It's very much in this. I, I don't want to call it a weird middle ground, but it's definitely a middle ground where you have to learn for you know each different scenario as you go through your daily weekly life of how you use a phone you have to relearn you know when to use the cover screen which is a little too small and then when to use the uh main screen which is sometimes too big and you know that may be an issue overall for this phone just because it does have that too small too big thing but if you have an open mind, which I think that you may even have more of an open mind on this than I do, you can find all of these little use cases where you're like, wow, it's really cool that I can have this two-third, one-third app split going basically all the time because two if you take two-thirds of that interior 7.3-inch display, it's basically like a regular phone and you still also have this extra room on the side and little things like that are just the way that Google maps looks on it or, you know, being able to browse a calendar or, you know, at any time, pull in a, a third app if you need it is stuff that you just couldn't do before. It didn't make sense to use even on these big screens. Look, a galaxy S 10 plus is huge, but it still doesn't really make sense to use two apps at once on it all that often. And we've seen, samsung and everybody else kind of go away from multi-window on phones but it this is just big enough that multi-window is kind of a standard way to use it oh yeah i've been using two or more apps on this since the day i got it and it's not a dumpster fire it's the only time that i've ever used an android thing <laughs> that that where i'm like oh, okay this makes sense because the four by three aspect ratio um it it has you know, a little bit more vertical than horizontal real estate. But when you open two apps side by side, you basically have two phone apps or one and a half, you know, one and three quarters phone apps. Yeah. And it works. I mean, most of the time it just works. And there are some instances where the app has not been designed to reformat. I'm looking at you, Twitter. But Instagram. most of the apps do, and they work fairly well. And they even work better than they do on as a single you know screen because then they become this massive oversized phone thing phone yeah and when Um, it's four by three when you scale up like that it does not look good no except when you're using google apps which is kind of the point right google's the only company that consistently keeps its apps updated for tablets or it has a fairly robust scaling mechanism where you know you you'll Mm -hmm. for example if you put the if you scale the fonts to its to the smallest size and the display resolution or the display density to its highest most google apps will format in their tablet modes um you know google will give you three panes if you're in landscape mode for instance and on this screen it actually works because it's the resolution's high enough, it's dense enough, and it's comfortable enough where that makes sense. And I I think that that's, man, that's just really the only problem because you get these little tastes of 
how this screen could do even more by giving you a lot more uh, information density. But then so often for a major vast majority of the apps that I use, you don't get that information density. And it really is, you know, uh, it's still a big benefit, but your only quote unquote benefit is having that extra one third uh, app, you know, separately in the two windows, which is still definitely a benefit, but you just, you can see the future. I mean, I think there's just an overall theme of this phone. You can see the future where the apps make more sense uh, on you know, every one of the apps you use or a majority of the apps you use make more sense on this screen. And developers have these types of displays in mind when they come, you know, when they redesign their apps and it just the, the possibilities are absolutely massive when you don't run into these little things where you, you know, you open up, like you said, Twitter or Instagram, or you have a handful of apps that won't window or won't go into split view at all. They force themselves into a window. You know, there are all these little off ramps that are kind of reminding you that this, that the apps are not ready for this form factor yet. Yeah. And I think this is a refrain that I've heard from a lot of people that, um, this is an awkward phone to use, and yet nobody that I've talked to dislikes that awkwardness. And I, I don't dislike it. I actually, you know, I'm, I've embraced the awkwardness because it's it's compelling. You can see where it, what it could be, and and it's fun, and it's it it and it's not just this isn't just a novelty in the sense that in a few days I'm going to get tired of using this form factor. Um, I have. When I go back to smaller phones, I miss the bigger screen, and I and I've I've grown used to the the larger display for reading, for content consumption, for gaming, um, and there are still things like typing that I find better on a smaller device because we can go into this a bit later. But like Gboard or SwiftKey is just not it's not meant to be used on a big screen like this, but. Um, most of the things that I do on the Galaxy Fold make sense, uh, and it and they're and it's en- they're enjoyable to use. So that's what I'm coming to is like I I'm forgiving a lot of the problems with this phone, whereas I wouldn't forgive these over simple oversights like the the Nokia Nine for instance. You know the the core competency of that phone sure. was its camera setup, and it just failed hard. But the things that the fold fails at, it kind of it, it's it's not so much a hard fail; it's like a slight stumble. And I know this is going to come off as a Samsung apologist, but it's it's not true. Like I, I want to implore people listening when they're shaking, you're shaking your head, you're going, "Oh, this guy sounds like such a Samsung apologist." <laughs> I'm 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 not. I, I want you to understand that this is this would be true of any device if it was from LG or or or. Freaking ZTE, like if if the ZTE Axon M had been like this, I would have been like, oh man, that's so good. But it wasn't. The Axon M was terrible. The software was horrible. It didn't work properly. Um, And if the Mate X is like this, I will say the same thing. You're, You're sort of looking at things from the perspective of this is a first generation product. It's sort of a prototype. It's sort of a tech demo. But it's at the same time way more cohesive than anybody thought it would be, and you got to give Samsung props for that. 
Yes, it, we, I think you. the biggest thing you have to give them props for is going first and just saying, hey, we're just going to do it. And it's going to be on, you know, whatever, up for pre-order already for some people, on sale, in carrier stores. Like, they're incredibly confident in this. Maybe too confident considering how many shortcomings there are from, like, a normal person walking into the store, even if they have a ton of money to spend. There are still lots of like core issues, but they're confident enough that this is the right idea that a whole lot of the reason why it's already on sale right now is rather than, you know, waiting months and months is that they're looking down the line for generation three, four, five. They're, you know, they're pulling a galaxy note here. Absolutely. And even the note two was a significant upgrade from this, from the original note, but you also have to take into account that there there's nine or 10 years of institutional maturity, you know, that they're approaching here, right? Like this is not the galaxy note in 2011 where Android as a platform is immature, you know, and Samsung as a company is relatively immature. This is bringing with it so much of that expertise. Plus the fact that they worked with mm-hmm. Google on the software side of things um, as a one, as a 1.0, I'm pretty impressed. That said, um, there are some problems, some actual design mistakes. I'm not just talking about decisions or, or like foibles. I'm talking about like actual mistakes that they objectively yeah. made with this hardware that, we shouldn't overlook because, man, like there are, there are just some usability issues. Let's start with the with the cover display. Yeah. Um, they ca- they call it a four point six inch screen, but it's in a twenty one by nine aspect ratio. So when you're measuring that diagonally, that is not really four point six inches. That's more like three point nine inches. I think somebody inches. I think somebody pointed out that the display is as wide as an iPhone three G. Yeah, which was not big which it was no. what was that a 3.7 inch I, something like that i want to say three and a half four 3. by three five inches yeah um yeah it, and, and it feels every bit as small it, i mean and it, it's it feels narrow i should say like you have enough vertical height there to, to not feel that cramped like when you're scrolling something but Jeez, like typing on the cover display has to be one of the most frustrating experiences of this phone. Totally, especially since Samsung's swipe type, you know, autocorrect is bad. And also its voice dictation is really bad, which is normally my, you know, I mean, I voice uh, use voice to text all the time on every phone, but I really need it to work here. And this kind of points out another one of those, you know, weird quirks is, the keyboard that you use on the inside screen is set, you know, is the default keyboard. It's the same keyboard that has to pop up on the cover screen. You can't choose between the two. And I understand that that would be kind of weird, but I have to use the Samsung keyboard on the inside because I need the wide split keys to work on the big screen. But then that, you know, dooms me to a life of misery using Samsung's keyboard on the cover screen. So the cover screen is mainly good at just performing quick actions like checking you know checking messages or or notifications like notifications basically acting as a lock screen for your phone um but i find myself actually 
when I'm walking, which I know I shouldn't, but when I'm walking or when I'm doing, when I'm occupied, uh, and I just want to kind of give my half attention to my phone, the cover screen is a really good way to to just use my use my phone and put it away really quickly. It doesn't yeah. encourage me to type. It doesn't encourage me to answer messages. It just okay. Here it is. I use it with one hand. I put it back in my pocket, and that's actually think, quite effective. Yeah, it is effective. And I think calling it a lock screen really is uh, apt because. Yes, you can configure, you have a full home screen and you have access to all of your apps and everything, but you're not going to use them. I mean, I put an app grid on there just for the the most basic things that are not uh, like browsing type things, but more like uh, YouTube music and pocket casts to be in Google photos, you know, just to be able to quickly open things. Uh, and then I put a calendar widget on there for a full home screen because that just makes sense there. Everything else, I mean, as soon as you launch an app and are going to spend more than 30 seconds or something in an app there, you're just going to take the two seconds to just unfold the screen and, you know, kind of get into it. And, you know, we're not used to having to make that, you know, make that choice of where that threshold is because normally you talk about, your lock screen on your phone. Yeah. That's, that's a much lower level. Like you're actually just triaging notifications, maybe archiving email or something like that. Checking messages. You're not actually expected to interact with the lock screen as much as you're tempted to do on the cover screen. Yeah. And let's also talk about the interaction with the buttons, both when you're using the cover lock screen and when the phone is unfolded because Samsung's insistence on including a Bixby button completely undermines the overall the, the, button scheme. <laughs> the Trojan Bixby button. It's terrible. It's just, it's in the way. And they embedded the, the fingerprint sensor in the Bixby button rather than the home button like they do on the S10E, uh, which would have been a way more appropriate place for it. Not to mention the fact that the Bixby button is far too low on the phone so it's easy to accidentally swipe up against it, which if you have the gesture to pull down the notification shade with your finger, it accidentally does that all the time. Yeah, I've turned that off because of that. Because it's it's where you, when you hold the phone unfolded in your right hand, that fingerprint sensor is exactly where your thumb sits to grip the phone. And now you're just pulling down the notification shade all the time. So um, hot tip, what I figured out was um, how to get the same functionality without explicitly enabling the the notification gesture. Do tell. I, I installed BX Actions and I mapped a double press of the Bixby button to the notification shade. Aha, okay. So instead of, because I always both accidentally brushed against it, but also accidentally pressed it once. Like I would always just like accidentally push the button once. So A, you can't map the notification shade using the regular Bixby uh, app. Like it just won't allow you to do an action that way. You have to explicitly open an app. Um, so BX Actions allows you to map it to a, a gesture, which is which is great. Um, That's a hot tip. Yeah, I found it really works. Um, but yeah, the, the the presence of Bixby there is just as egregious as it is on the other you know, Galaxy phones, it's just even more so here because 
it just it's more in your way, which I didn't even think was possible, but it's more in your way. Um, let's also talk about when it's folded, it's not flat. The hinge is is larger than the thickness of the two sides. So there's it's flat on the side with the magnet, but looks there's like a little a surface bit of a hole. book. It does. It looks like yep. a surface book. It, that's exactly right. But you kind of forgive it because the hinge is so good. Yeah, and it doesn't feel... I, I've just completely forgotten about the fact that it doesn't sit flat. I mean, you do have the the one, you know, the upside, downside, whatever it is, reality, that the camera bump is also on the back there. And so that creates a little bit of a wobble on the uh, on the table or whatever anyway. So it's, you're not really, you know, you're more thrown off by that than by the fact that the, uh, you know, that there's this small gap in it. And of course you don't notice it the minute that you open it. Um, I, it's not, it's not perceptible to me when I'm holding it folded. The bigger thing that's a usability problem when holding it folded is that your, your thumb kind of just needs to rest right in the crease between the two halves that are stuck together. And that feels a little awkward when you need to use things like the fingerprint sensor uh, and power and volume keys, because those are on the bottom half and you know, you're normally used to them being dead center in the middle of the device you're holding. Yeah. There's a lot of getting used to using the phone when it's bigger because you can, while you can use it with one hand, uh, unless you have these like massive paws I do, which you do, but even still, I'm sure it's a little awkward to use. It still absolutely is because you're just not, we're just not used to phones being this thick and heavy. And I I think that the weight is actually maybe bigger than the bigger of a problem than the thickness because, you know, we're all used to doing this kind of hand acrobatics with big phones and we kind of shift them around in our palms and all that kind of stuff. I don't feel like I can do that very well with the fold because it is so heavy that if you're trying to shift your hand around a little bit, the phone just wants to wants to fall out of your hand because it's 50% heavier than the Galaxy S10 Plus even. That's so crazy. Yeah, this is not I mean it, it's well distributed like when the when the phone's opened up, you don't it doesn't feel like it's a brick in your hand, but yeah. it's certainly they mask it a heavy, pretty well. Yeah, it's it's a definitely a heavy phone. But at, you know, you mentioned earlier this is basically a Galaxy S10 Plus. So let's go through the specs because you know there are maybe four people on Earth who haven't heard about this phone hmm. um, and who don't know. So there, you know, aside from the screens, there's a Snapdragon 855 uh, platform in here along with 12 gigabytes of RAM and 512 gigs of storage. Now, that is the same as the ceramic version of the Galaxy S10 Plus. Um, It's the only Galaxy S10 Plus with that spec sheet. So, you know, you're splashing $1,500 US for that anyway. Right. This This has the same camera loadout as the S10 Plus, except there's an extra selfie cam because they have selfie cams on both the cover and on the inside, which I don't know. I think that's that makes no sense dumb. to me. <laughs> I don't want to use the selfie cam when I have the Although, phone open. I did just the. I didn't think about this at all. 
I was uh, doing, I was on a, a video call yesterday using the cover uh, because that's the only way to really hold the thing properly with one hand. And I needed to open the browser and you just unfold the screen and it just immediately switches to the inside selfie camera and the video goes up into the top right corner and then you can open the browser and like start doing things on the screen. So I understand it from a, like a selfie photo perspective, you would only use one, but that was like, it was like a Samsung commercial just like happening in my living room because it was so perfect to just use both of them interchangeably and it immediately switched. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good example of where something like that is useful, but, and I I think it's worth pointing out, like Samsung is not marketing this to business people. They're not marketing this, marketing this as a productivity device really. Um, Yeah. And a lot of people have said, Hey, if this was a note, if this had an S pen, I would buy it. Uh, You wouldn't buy it because every time you use the pen, it would indent on the plastic display and damage it. So you don't want that. I promise you, because even after a couple of days, there are a couple of dings on this plastic cover. Uh, yeah, which I promise wanna, we'll, we'll talk about. Do you want to get into this no, now? No, I, I, I want to. I want to finish the spec sheet. So, um, there's a 4380 milliamp hour battery in here, which is kind of a misnomer because there are two battery cells that combine to uh, you know add up to 4380. Um, if you've taken a look at Android Central today, or if you've seen it elsewhere, there's a teardown of the fold that shows what those two batteries look like. One looks like a regular Samsung battery that used to find on, say, a Galaxy S5, similar, kind of stout and relatively thick. And the other one on the on the other side, on the right side, is long and skinny. It's really interesting how they've done this, um, but they've managed to put two pretty large batteries into this thing. And I'm grateful because, well... The battery life hasn't been very good for me so far, and if it was mm-hmm. any smaller, it would basically be unusable. And it was critical; uh, splitting it was critical to making this thing as as thin as it is, and making it uh, equally, you know, both halves being equally sized. Because that's that's just so critical uh, to this design is to not have it be asymmetrical. Uh, in my opinion, it, having it be asymmetrical would just be kind of funky and that was really smart of them to be able to figure that out yeah it's true i i mean the there's no there's nothing unique about splitting batteries there that's a common practice in in tablets and apple has been doing it in the ipad and the macbook line for a very long time and i would not be surprised if it's true of the galaxy tab s series as well although i've never seen a teardown of those but there's nothing new about it. It's just they had to do it for this particular design because the hinge in the middle is where this folds. And that's this is, I think, the right time to get into it. Um, this phone has a problem. And, yeah. and we got to talk about it. But we'll do that right after the break. Stay tuned. This episode of the Android Central Podcast is brought to you by Wix. Yes, that's right, Wix is back for another week because I, I guess they love us. And it's great because we love Wix too. Wix is the place to go for building a great website. Over 140 million people use it to build their website. And you can get started for free. That's probably why so many people use it because it's easy to get started 
plus the fact that there are over 500 stunning templates that you can use. You don't have to modify it at all. You can just open the template, write your thing. Hey, it's my website. I'm great. And uh, publish. And it'll look fine. It'll, it'll look great. And you can upload photos. You can do videos. You can add a forum. You can do all these cool things. And you don't have to lift a finger. Well, you do. You have to do a bit of typing. But really, like on, in terms of like internet work, that's, it's pretty easy. However, if you really want to dig into the weeds of Wix, you can do that. You can edit HTML, you can build custom CSS, you can build anything you want because Wix is so powerful. They have a really easy to use website builder. It's drag and drop. It's intuitive. It makes sense. You're going to really love it. If you want to build a website for your business, there are so many ways that Wix can help, including SEO tools. You can sell things on Wix. You can basically run your business through a single place. If you have an e-commerce store and a blog, which increasingly a lot of entrepreneurs want to do, Wix supports that as well. If you want to host video, Wix does that natively. Uh, it's just, it's really, really easy. Um, if you have a, a venue or a hotel, if you want to run an event, if you own a restaurant, Wix has support for all of these things through their custom templates. So that's why you want to use Wix. It's that good. But here's an even better reason. If you go to Wix.com slash podcast, you can get 10% off a premium version of Wix. That's Wix.com slash podcast. W-I-X.com slash podcast for 10% off your order. That, my friends, is pretty damn good. You know what else is pretty damn good? Wix. For sponsoring the ACP, thank you so much, and back to the show. Okay, let's talk about this. Uh, I don't want to call it a, a scandal. Um, in fact, you told me that I shouldn't call it a scandal because it's not a scandal. I wanted to call one of my articles, I wanted to use the word scandal, but but the reason I wanted to do that is because when it blew up, which was Wednesday now, yeah, I think Wednesday. Yeah. Um, when it blew up, it had the same smell of those first few hours of the Note 7. Where it did. You heard about one phone getting, uh, you know, overheating and, and, and smoking and, and, and combusting. And then shortly thereafter, you heard about another story and another and another. And eventually, there were 12, 20, 35 people reporting that their Note 7s had uh, caused, you know, had, had imploded and, and, and caused damage. Um, but this is a little bit different. So walk us through what happened in, in real time. So it got, a little, it got a little sketchy right from the start in, in a way that the Note 7 was not. The, so there were two distinct things happening at once. There were a couple of different people. So backing up just one step there are not a lot of galaxy folds out there even today there are maybe a few dozen outside of samsung's control right now with with uh the press and i'm sure that there are some you know some people in care you know carrier capacity that have them but public wise there's only a few dozen and we heard on Wednesday that there were at least four, maybe more like five or six 
phones that their displays just completely crapped out. Um, some started with a big black dead spot on one side that ended up turning into one whole half of the phone. Others had, you know, your kind of more typical dead rows of pixels, you know, vertically and horizontally. And it all obviously kind of blew up. Everybody got really, you know, people were, there was a mixture of people that were like, wow, we knew this was going to happen. Like, look, the thing is, has a plastic screen and, you know, it's all fragile and it's not ready yet. And there were other people that were like trying to figure out what was going on rationally. Uh, I think we were in the latter camp, thankfully. So what happened was people that received these phones didn't all receive the same information about what to do with them out of the box. And because we didn't receive full retail units, they didn't include very, very necessary warnings about the construction of the phone, mainly that there's a plastic screen covering that is not removable. And it's not, well, it is technically removable. It's not meant to be removed. Uh, Like the Galaxy S10 comes out of the box with a glass screen with a plastic screen protector on it. The Galaxy Fold looks like it comes with a plastic screen protector on it. You can look at any photo of the Galaxy Fold screen. You look at the edges, you can see that there is even a discernible gap between where that plastic layer ends and the actual raised bezel begins. And in the case of at least two of these failures, uh, those screen layers were either removed entirely or started to be removed partially, which immediately causes the screen to stop working. And, well, yeah, of course it does, because it's no different than taking the glass off of a Galaxy S10. That OLED display, as soon as it's exposed to the elements, is going to die just as quickly as this will. And the problem was that that happened concurrently with other screens that seemingly met their fate despite not being disturbed outside of the normal course of using a phone. And so that kind of amplified the whole thing. And so I, I want to remove that part of like, okay, don't break the phone because yeah, the phone's going to break when you break it and just focus on the part of the ones that failed without any intervention or wrongdoing on the part of the people that used them. Yeah, so there were two concurrent strains of problems. Um, And I think the biggest issue for Samsung, other than, well, I mean, the biggest issue for Samsung is that this potentially has a very, very problematic design flaw. But yeah, one informs the other, of course. Like uh, the fact that you can remove the plastic at all, or you like, it's not very clear. And that removing it immediately destroys the display. Like, that is also a problem. But this happened from a PR perspective at, you know, concurrently, which was even worse for them. So it it made it seem like the two people who removed the layer because they thought that it was just a regular plastic screen protector, which is not surprising given that the Galaxy S10 ships with a screen protector now. Um and a bad one at and, that. And a that very you bad one. But the reason it does that is because of the ultrasonic fingerprint sensor. So they want to make sure that if you do decide to put a, a screen protector on it, it's compatible with that ultrasonic screen protector. So just to 
to co you know to to prevent that from being an issue for most people they're like here we'll include it for you don't remove it if you don't need to but if you do remove it it's fine because it's glass it works um i'm going to read what samsung actually told the the press about the screen about the the layer it's not a screen protector the protective layer is part of the display structure designed to protect the screen from unintended scratches the main display of the Galaxy Fold is made with a new advanced polymer layer, an adhesive that is flexible and tough enough to endure repeated folding actions. Because the main display is made with polymer, the extra protective layer is in place to guard against impact. It's built into the display, which is why it should not be removed by force. Um, what Samsung needs to do is summarize that paragraph Stick it right on the phone when you get it, and it'll discourage people from from removing it. But for reviewers, they didn't do that. Yeah, it, we had like the typical kind of silk screened little uh, you know cellophane wrap around the phone, but it was just completely blank. Now we've seen a photo. Uh, or photos of what the retail warning is, and I'm still not happy about it. It's about two inches long at the very bottom of the phone. Um, people are just going to grab it and rip it off and not read it, just like every other piece of you know cellophane wrapping a phone. And of course, there will also be like quick start guides and materials in the box and all that kind of stuff. They need to like have you open the box and there be like one of those gag cans of snakes pop out at you <laughs> that says don't remove the plastic and also don't put anything else on top of this because you also can't put a screen protector you know if you're like kind of a belt and suspenders kind of person you can't put a screen protector on top of this because removing that later on could peel up this this uh protective layer and cause problems. And when you when you think about this, the display is not particularly robust on its own without that additional structure. So the only reason why the OLED panel underneath can even fold like this is that it's not being pushed to its limits, much like we discussed with it not closing all the way. It, it that <clears throat> excuse me, that top layer is what keeps it from bending on top of itself and when we talk about the crease and all that that's all in the top layer because it's protecting the oled from damage right and and i think the distinction needs to be made that when you peel the adhesive off you're not peeling the display off but because the glue that samsung is using to join the polymer layer to the actual oled display is so strong that when you peel it off, you are probably disengaging the OLED screen from the the ribbon that it is att that attaches to the motherboard, and you're doing damage to the OLED display by removing this polymer layer. The problem here is that if you've ever used a phone that doesn't have a plastic screen, which is basically every phone except for maybe the Moto Moto Z2 Force, which very few people Hopefully own. Hopefully you don't have one. Um, you are not used to a phone looking like this unless you have a plastic screen protector on it. 
So there's a huge bit of education that's necessary for people buying this. And you're going to say, well, nobody's going to buy it because it's $1,980. But gauging from the amount of interest in this and the fact that most people don't buy it outright, they're buying it through a carrier where they're spending 60 bucks a month, it's a little bit easier to digest. So yes, the, the number of people paying for this is going to be relatively low compared to a Galaxy S10 or an iPhone XS, but there are still a few hundred thousand, if not a million or more people that are ordering and you know, happy to pay that amount of money over two years. So when they get this phone, they're going to have to be okay looking at and using a plastic screen. So let's talk about exactly. Let's talk about what that means for people practically. You know, like the fact that it is plastic and of course there's like some extra vulnerability there. What does that mean for actual durability? We know that it's inherently safer to be an any folding phone because normally, you know, you don't leave it sitting out. I mean, at least I haven't. I don't, when I'm done using the phone, I fold it up and I put it on the table. I don't set it down open and it's never going to go in a pocket or a bag or whatever open because it's so easy. Like it's natural state is clearly folded closed, but it's still going to come in contact with, everything that a phone typically comes in contact with and gorilla glass has gotten extremely strong. And I think that we've kind of taken for granted that we have extremely strong screen coverings and this is going to require a little bit of a a change again, a a change of understanding how to use the thing. I mean, it's also uh, it's worth mentioning that because there is that gap where the hinge doesn't get fully, you know, where the two screens don't fully meet around the hinge, debris and perhaps even small pieces of, you know, like small stones or dust over time will accumulate there and cause a little bit of damage because it is really easy to irrevocably damage this plastic cover. Um, You know, if you just take a pen and you lightly jab it on the screen, it will leave impressions that will not heal. They will be there forever. Um, and if you know, if you have used a Moto Z Force or Moto Z Two Force or any plastic display, you'll know that over time it accumulates a lot of damage. Obviously, having this be a book-like um, design will 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 prevent that from happening on a daily basis. But I'm wondering what this will look like in a year or two for people who yeah. buy it. That's the that's the bigger issue for me is just the there's no there's a very low threshold for what can damage the plastic e- even in a small way, and it will never come back. I, it's a you start at 100 percent and it just it it never recovers. There's no way to to fix it. And with glass, it's the same way, of course. But the threshold for what scratches the glass or the covering on the glass uh, or whatever your coatings your oleophobic coatings and things is much 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 higher and i mean we haven't even talked about the crease which is the main point of watching the plastic change over time and as it 
heat cycles and is folded thousands and thousands and thousands of times, we know that the crease and the, you know, the creased area, both the display and the display covering aren't going to fail uh, in a reasonable amount of time. Samsung says whatever 200,000 folds and unfolds, you'll never reach that point. But what will it look like after, you know, sure, it'll last 200,000, but what will it look like after 10,000? Yeah. You know, I've already started to notice that about two thirds the way up, like up my screen, the crease is not uniform. I can see a wave in it about two thirds the way up where it gets a little bit wider and then narrower. And those are the kinds of things that there's just nothing you can do about it. It's just, that's just how it is. It's bad enough that there's this noticeable crease but the fact that it can kind of change because, you know, the plastic is malleable and it's forced to fold there uh, is a little disconcerting. So I, I guess then with all of these concerns, was it right of Samsung to release this phone in its current state or should they have waited a year longer, two years longer for the technology to mature enough where they could release a fully formed 1.0. Like I said, I I think they're looking at the future. They're releasing this phone with their eyes on Gen 3 and 4 and they understand that they weren't going to they're not going to make a bunch of money with this anyway. They're still going to sell a whole ton of Galaxy S10 Pluses and S10Es. They don't need this to be a hit on its own, you know, aside from this, you know, first little road, you know, roadblock or speed bump, whatever stupid analogy you want to use with the display problem, they, they will happily take being out in the market first, pushing the envelope, showing their innovation and, you know, all these new things and having acts as a halo product for all of their others that you're actually going to buy and then hopefully three or four years down the road, they've already established themselves as like the leader in these types of devices. And who knows, maybe it turns into a different kind of form factor. Maybe they figure out some of the some of the display um, layer problems and things like that. But this isn't I mean, we talked about this, you know, we don't want to go super negative all of a sudden because we talked about all the positive parts already there are so many good ideas here that you can easily see being solved technologically and just with some design changes that make this thing make sense. It's not just a total gimmick. uh, Like so many people want to say it has merit. The other thing that I want to talk about though, is when the galaxy note, which now is hilariously small but when it debuted in 2011 it was massive it was it was it was mocked for its its size and its uh and its you know the perception that it was not usable um today it we take for granted that bigger phones are better that people want them the demand has shifted um my question though is as we as the smartphone industry matures and as everybody on earth moves towards getting a phone of some sort, most likely an Android phone, most likely a cheap Android phone. If you know if we look at the you know at the at the worldwide smartphone user base, most people, the majority of people are using quote cheap Android phones, right? We know that. Mm-hmm. 
And as markets develop and as technology commoditizes, better technology is put in uh, these cheaper phones. That's why you can get, you know, a Xiaomi or or you know a Poco phone costs two hundred and fifty dollars, but it's got the same tech as a thousand dollar phone from a couple of years ago. It's just that's how that that that's how markets work, right? Um, but at the same time, flagship phones are getting more expensive, and they all basically look the same. They're just flat sheets of glass with metal frames very much and we're moving away from notches so eventually it'll just be all screen and that's it is this the next thing is this what people want is this what the normal phone will look like in five years or is it always going to be a novelty oh that's really tough i i want like i think that this is more forward-looking and more like has way more potential than some of these slight interim things we've seen. You mentioned the ZTE Axon M earlier with two distinct displays. You know, LG has this weird secondary display connection thing for the V50. Um, there are pop-up slider phones and things like that. Those are all kind of rehashes of old ideas, whereas this really does feel like it has the potential if these technological problems are... Uh, solved or addressed a little bit uh, better to the point where this could be not the new form factor, but a form factor for the productivity bonuses and just for the type of people that are willing to accept this kind of device. It's never going to be able to reach the point where this is just what every phone looks. Well, not never, but in as far as long as we we're going to be calling smartphones smartphones, this is not going to be able to be a majority of the market. We're just so far away from the technology being there to be able to come down to those you know like Poco phone style prices. That this I, I think is just going to be able to be sat next to you know quote unquote regular smartphones you know, often made by Samsung also, and they can both be around. I think the difference is the technology is going to get better. The prices are going to come down and it's going to be kind of more of a viable option in the flagship space. That idea of a foldable phone living alongside a, you know, a regular design. Um, to me, it, when I look at the trajectory of 2019, we're seeing 5G and we're seeing foldable phones and we're going to see the the mate x in a couple of months we're going to see other devices like the rumored motorola razor reboot which will what i think is going to be much smaller so it's going to basically be the same design as the original razor um at least from the 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 leaks that we've seen where you'll open it up to just be a regular sized phone a phone that today would be a you know considered a normal six inch display but when closed it'll be really small and pocketable uh with with presumably like the razor just a, a tiny front cover that you'll be able to see i don't know like the incoming phone calls or messages um right. i wonder if that is where we'll end up not necessarily with motorola leading the pack but just where people don't necessarily want this massive behemoth of a phone in their pocket um but something a little bit more of a compromise where you get a slightly bigger screen, but it doesn't necessarily bog you down when you, when you walk. Yes. It doesn't have to be this, um, large book style thing. That's a, 
you know, that's just a technological limitation based on right now with Samsung's hardware, what they, you know, this is the smallest, uh, form factor that they could do right now. That's why the screen, uh, or the cover screen, you know, is the size that it is, why it's as thick and heavy as it is. But you can see if you took this idea and massaged it a little bit to make it a little bit shorter, a little bit wider before it folds, you know, you have lots of little ways that you could tweak this to make more sense, but that's just going to have to wait for the technology to shrink enough. And it could, like you said, shrink into, you know, something that's more akin to an old school flip phone. It just happens to be one screen. That said, though, um, the the industry is moving to bigger displays or at least better screen to body ratios right the mm-hmm. the the innovation over the last couple of years has been the elimination of bezels where you'll find some phones with 93 95% screen to body ratio and this this kind of resets things a little bit right there are bezels upon bezels on this thing um you know the front cover is basically just an enormous bezel but at the same time you are getting more screen real estate than you would with a with with a typical phone like a galaxy s10 so i think what's interesting is that we are trying to find once again a balance between usability and screen size and we're also trying to find a balance between distinct devices and consolidation where you know Mm -hmm. we we for a while we had phones and tablets and laptops and i think aside from the ipad which has somehow survived by by pivoting to be more of a computer more of a laptop replacement um the tablet market has all but disappeared i mean you don't hear about android tablets at all anymore so rightfully so based on how right. they perform they don't they're bad they're just objectively bad so here we have a an attempt to revitalize the tablet design by just making smartphones bigger in in general just by doing things a little bit differently um i don't know whether that will find support in the in the mainstream market but right now to me this is an improvement. I don't know if it's an improvement uh, in terms of productivity, but I'm enjoying consuming media on this bigger screen. And you could just see the potential. I mean, that's, I think I've said that several times. You can see what makes, uh, how this could make sense, if not the fact that you already know that it makes sense. You see things you see individual use cases or the the way that you figure out how to use the phone and you go, Oh yeah, this makes sense. We could do this. And if you just waited, you know, if you plant that seed now and you wait a couple of years where it makes more sense, you know, it could be Samsung, could be somebody else. You could see how this would make sense compared to the alternative, which is, smartphones especially at the flagship level have just kind of stagnated they've stopped doing interesting things they can't get that much bigger you know we're maxing out screen to body ratio as you mentioned uh you know you can go a little bit farther but you can't go that much further you you run out of space to do those things 
you have to go somewhere else. And you could see how in a few years this will this will make more sense than a than a flat, you know, rectangular phone. So the next big thing is obviously the release of the the Galaxy Fold and to see whether it scales, right? If the the four reviewer review units that broke was just a just a fluke and we don't really see the problems in the real world, then we'll know that this design is relatively robust. If Samsung releases the phone and it turns out that, yeah, they probably should have waited until the screen was a little bit better, um, then there'll be a problem. The next big milestone is the Mate X, which goes from an innie to an Audi, where it's the screen on the outside and you basically press a button to unlatch it from the hinge <laughs> and it it just becomes this like massive you know screen that's pr- a pretty similar size to the Galaxy Fold just um you see big you you see screen all the time so i'm interested in learning a is that a better or worse design in the long run and will Huawei's software which has been notoriously bad on phones scale to a a tablet like uh, and it's been even worse for as bad as it's been on phones. It's been horrendous on tablets. Yeah. So that's doesn't bode well. I, I think that will be a, a very critical point because we'll be able to temper, you know, what happened, you know, how people in general have evaluated the Galaxy Fold after a couple months by seeing this other phone come out and see you know, where did they do it better? Where did they do it worse? You know, difference of opinions. Um, because right now it's, it is really tough to evaluate the galaxy fold because you can't really compare it directly to other phones that are in the market today. Cause it is, as we've noted, completely different in the way you use it and how it's expected to be used. But at the same time, you maybe give it a too much of a pass because, well, there's all this potential and there's nothing to compare it to. So once we actually have something else out in the market, even if it is just one other phone, you just have something to check it against yeah. and say, you know, who did it better? Right now, it it I mean, just the fact that Samsung could come out with this and just put it on sale seems like they're better off. But, you know, and, and Huawei is charging whatever it is, 25% more. Um, and who knows, you know, what their program is going to look like to launch it. But Samsung obviously has that first mover advantage. Yeah. And it also has the advantage of having carrier deals in the U.S., which Huawei won't. So, yes, that is one more thing to keep in mind. But when the uh, when, when the Mate X is available sometime in June, uh, we will definitely be doing our comparisons. So um, until then, stay tuned. So we're gonna, I think we're gonna end it there because you know we've kind of run the gamut. This is this is both a a very promising handset and a very frustrating and concerning experience with some major design flaws that will likely need to be fixed in the second gen. But until we have, as you said, something to compare it to, we won't know if this is the better product. Yeah, I do love that it's starting a conversation about this new stuff, though, because phone after phone that's just a black rectangle was getting a little a little uh, tired. Well, speaking of tired, we're tired of waiting for Google to come out with the Pixel 3 
A <laughs> and Pixel 3a XL. So we received some uh, hints that it will be unveiled at Google I.O., which is interesting because Google hasn't really ever uh, announced a phone at I.O. Uh, it, it released a version of the Nexus, uh, the Galaxy Nexus in 2012 at, at I.O., wow. but it's, I don't think ever unveiled a phone at I.O. So um, we're going to talk about that next week and why Google is going to be announcing a phone at I.O., why they're releasing a Pixel 3 variant over six months after they actually unveiled the Pixel 3. And we'll also talk about the OnePlus 7, which uh, is being teased and leaked to all hell. We know that it'll have two variants, the 7 and the 7 Pro. And I think there's uh, there's some, some stuff to dig into there as well. So stick with us for, uh, for that next week. But right now, we will say... Adios, and uh, thank you so much for listening. Andrew, have a great weekend. Thanks for joining me. I absolutely will. You too. Thanks, everybody. All right. Cheers. We'll talk to you again very soon. Bye-bye.